Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio episode number 25. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here to compare and contrast. Last week we talked about the original Pete's Dragon from 1977. Today we discuss the 2016 remake of Pete's Dragon. Uh, Not animation into live action like a lot of these other films. This basically follows the same premise of there is an animated character living within a live action world. And oddly enough, as much as you love the original Pete's Dragon, this was one that we didn't see until it came out on Blu-ray. Right. And I wasn't happy with it on my first viewing. No, neither was I. Um, It took a few viewings uh, before I started to come around on it. Um... But it definitely wasn't, um, it didn't have the same magic. And in a lot of ways, didn't have the same heart as the original movie. Um, the biggest differences out of the gate are that, you know, really, the the plot is very much the same in that you have an orphan child that gets adopted by a family. But what's different about this movie? You you see Pete's backstory. We find out how he got orphaned, which was a big problem for me in the original movie. So you see at least their interpretation of how that happens in this movie. In addition to that, uh, it's not taking place at a fisherman's town in Maine. It's taking place really in like the Midwest. Which is something I had issue with. Right. Um, but... Uh, with the exception of some of the characters having different names and introducing a few new characters, the root of it very much is the same. The thing, though, is, and and we're going to break it down uh, in just a moment here, for the most part, the liberties that they took and the differences that they made, by and large, are what made this movie a disappointment versus the original. Yeah, I mean... It's essentially a completely different story. The like you said, the roots are the same. The structure is similar, but they are telling two completely different stories. So we find out that Pete and his parents were on a road trip going somewhere. We don't know where they were going, but they on were an adventure. Oh, we, it was an adventure. Yes. Um when a deer ran out into the middle of the road, Pete's father drove to avoid the deer, and when he did that, he rolled the vehicle. The parents were killed, uh, leaving Pete orphaned. Now, when you watch the movie, they were not driving that fast to cause such an accident. And what I don't understand is how Pete is sitting in the back seat with all of their luggage and debris that is flying all over the back of the car... He walks away, no cut, no bruise, no limp, no scratch. They're dead. Right. And you can tell that they're going to be killed off by the angelic light as they're driving up the mountain. Foreshadow much? Yeah, really. Like, it, it's really, it's the perfect Disney death, except this time we see it play out. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, there seems like there wasn't much of a search party for him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like a kid that we're assuming because he's reading a book Mm -hmm. uh, called Elliot is Lost. It's a book about a shadow much. Yeah. It's a book about a puppy that gets lost from his family, I think, on a camping trip. Um, 
He's old enough to read the book, so you have to imagine that he's already five or six years old. They're about, I'd say. He's kind of, I mean, he's kind of sounding it out. He's kind of working through it like he's reading to his parents in the car in their final moments. So granted, they are driving up a mountain. It's seemingly desolate up there. I have to imagine somebody comes across this car wreck eventually and finds the parents. Like, And like you said, there's debris everywhere. There's a sign that there was a child in the car. You have to know that there's a missing child somewhere. Not just a sign, but they later pull out a newspaper article showing that the family was in the car together, but you never retrieve the child. So going to find them, even if you found the parents, there's there's nowhere that you would have found any part of the child at all. So you have to imagine that he has somehow escaped. Right, and if you didn't find a body, you can't really give up the search that easily. Yeah, so like, how did they not find... I just... How did, how did nobody ever find him? Right. How did nobody find him? The irony here for me is that Pete becomes like the Gogans in the original because now he's this like wild child of the woods. He's running around, he's living off the land, and he's covered in dirt. I hated it because I didn't feel like I was watching Pete anymore. I felt like I was watching Tarzan or Mowgli. Yeah. Yeah. it's I, I just uh, it took me took me way too far out of it. And what's really jarring for me is that this kid looks so much like Norman Reedus to me. Like <laughs> it's like Daryl Dixon is running around the woods, too. Now, Elliot is as lovable in this movie as he was in the original, maybe even more so. Oof. But he looks like a green cow. They unapologetically bastardize Elliot's makeup like just everything about him and what bothers me most about that is that in the original the song it's not easy takes you through what Elliot looks like because he hasn't yet been revealed to Nora so Pete's singing about you know he has the head of a camel the neck of a crocodile and this Elliot looks nothing like that he's not reptilian at all And I think he should be like when I think dragon, I think more reptilian than anything else. And here he's he's got fur. I guess maybe they were trying to soften him a little bit and not make him look quite as scary for kids. But he just he looks like a giant Muppet. No. And then if you're going to do that, if we're going to if this is going to be a live action remake, then use an animatronic. Don't CGI him. Yeah. I mean, he's more dog like in this one. And we talked about like that. We talked about that when we reviewed the original last week. He was more dog-like in the original in personality, and you know his loyalty was like a dog. In this one, his behaviors are more like a dog. Right. Um, this is not a musical the way that the original was. Um, but in spite of that. I actually do like the soundtrack of this movie. I feel that the songs that they picked fit the setting really well, and I do like the score. I feel like they fit the setting, but they were very jarring. They work in a sense of the diegetic sound because Pete's never heard music before. So like when they turn on the radio or uh, back at the house when you see the record player, it definitely works there. 
But a lot of the times they'll continue the song out. And being that this isn't a musical, I don't think you need to hear music with lyrics. Score fine. But I don't think a song needs to continue to play out with the lyrics, especially when they're competing with dialogue that's on screen. And from what I remember, having watched this a few times now um, in the days leading up to this review, nowhere in the score, I don't believe, does it pay any tribute to the original movie, which was so heavy on its music. No, nowhere. Which, that to me, that's a big swing and a miss. Yeah, I mean, I will say this. I like the new setting in this logging town, which was something that I had said was an interesting choice in the first one was that it's a sea town and they're in the pioneer era and you would think go west. Now they actually do. And I think what they did here works for this story, but it definitely made me miss the music. Mm -hmm. Do I think this needed to be a musical? Heck no. I think that would have been a disaster, but I don't know. I I just that's why it's not a musical. So to hear actual songs playing when you know, like I said, it, it's it's diegetic sound. You you see the source, right? So if there's not like a band playing or somebody playing the guitar, I don't think you necessarily needed to show Pete turning on a record player and then carry out the song. I mean, I'm glad they established it because it was slightly less jarring than if they had just thrown in music. But like I said, the, a full song, I felt like I was watching a music video uh, and it took me out of it right away and definitely made me miss Lampy singing. To piggyback off of what you said, and, and I want to touch on the whole Lampy thing as well. Um, you talked about the setting this movie very much was E.T. meets um, The Jungle Book. Mm. Um, mostly the setting because a lot of it takes place in those dark woods where you see a lot of scenes in E.T. where E.T. and Elliot kind of go into seclusion. but With like those big redwoods. Mm -hmm. But this movie is beautifully shot. Yes, yeah. The cinematography in this movie is spectacular. It's stunning. I love. I'll give it that. It I is love stunning. the look of this movie, and I like Robert Redford. Um, he's he's an incredible talent, and I do like him in this movie. But it doesn't come off the same way as the crazy drunk who eventually gets his redemption. I'm I don't like the fact that he's just like you know the crazy old man that people just don't believe. I liked Mickey Rooney as Lampy in that role more than I liked Robert Redford in this role. I think if you would have made Robert Redford the town buffoon or the town drunk more than just, oh, he's old, so he tells stories, I think it would have played off much better. Yeah, I like Robert Redford, and I do like the character, but... It's definitely not the same as having Lampy as the crazy old geezer talking about he saw a dragon. Um, when they open the film, Robert Redford is doing like a wood carving. And I, I like that. Again, it ties the setting together very nicely. And he's actually doing a narration. And then, you know, we come to find out that he's actually telling this story to kids about the myth of the dragon. And I think that actually does 
it works really well in this context. I'm not going to say like it just out and out works because I think Lampy is a better character overall and the way that they told it in the original or the way that they played that out in the original worked better. But I think for what they did achieve here, it definitely lends itself to the story. I like how they opened it, and I agree with you. It works, but I almost wish that he would have been telling them this story, like in like in the town square or at a park bench, and some parent sees them and go, "Get away from him!" Yes, where, exactly. Where you would exactly. feel bad for him, like you feel bad for Mickey Rooney in the original because you know that what he's saying is true and nobody believes him. Again, it's I mentioned it last week, and I've already mentioned it once here. You're missing that genuine redemption. Yes. That that moral victory and that personal victory, that's a big character arc for for, a, for that actor and for that character, I do believe. I mean, Robert Redford's character, Meacham, he does get the redemption, but it's not the same. No, it I, to me, it doesn't mean as much. Yeah, exactly. No, you're absolutely right. I think that the relationship that Pete and Elliot have in this movie is just as good at times even better than the relationship in the f- in the original film because in this movie Elliot is cute and funny when he wants to be cute and funny but for the most part he's just very loyal he's not like a buffoon i talked last week about the shtick they dialed it back just enough with Elliot mm-hmm. where no matter what he did he always managed to be his own foil and that got it started to get a little old and a little stale. That didn't happen here, so I really appreciated it. But like, you know, why why is Pete howling like a wolf? Why is he whimpering like an animal? I know that he was raised in that's a, he was raised in the woods, but not for his entire life. I mean, yes, safe to assume about half of his life, but it's not like he hasn't been there since infancy and this is all that he knows. Right. It's not like when we talked about the Jungle Book remake where we were like, how does Mowgli know how to use a bowl? He shouldn't because he's right. never been exposed to people enough. Pete has been, you know, around the time that his parents passed, it was he was probably like three or four. Like, you know, enough mm-hmm. where you shouldn't be behaving that way. Um, I do disagree with you, though. Um I don't like their friendship as much in this movie. Um, I think this movie plays to the fantastical elements a little bit more. Okay. Um, Which, again, it does work in this context because they are talking about dragons as mythical creatures. So they do make Elliot more mythical. Um, They spent a lot of time with Pete riding his back and where as opposed to in the original where they're just kind of palling around and they're eating apples or whatever, he's, uh, Elliot is actually on a much bigger scale too this time around. And yeah. um, they spent a lot more time sort of playing into that where instead of it feeling like a buddy that's, on an equal playing field to me this feels like he tamed a wild animal yeah i'll give you that that's a good point that's valid um we're introduced to grace in this movie played by bryce dallas howard um and she plays the quote-unquote nora role um 
but instead of being a keeper of the lighthouse, she's a park ranger. Works for the story. A lot of the decisions that they make do work for this interpretation. Um, we're introduced to her, and we're introduced to Jack, who plays her love interest. Paul is the love interest of Nora in the original film. We see very little of him, and we went over why we see very little of him in last week's episode. Um, so we have Jack, who I don't like. Jack, to me, other than being a love interest to Grace, is a completely useless character. I don't buy him as a supervisor for this lumberjack company. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite honestly, he's engaged or engaged to be engaged to a park ranger who's trying to save the forest while he owns and operates a company that is cutting the forest down. They make no sense as a couple. They have completely conflicting interests. I know they say that at times opposites attract, but this is a stark contrast in moral belief. I don't buy them as a couple. I don't buy him as a character. And in my opinion, serves little to no purpose in this movie. Interesting. Um, to me, I think Bryce Dallas Howard serves no purpose as an actress. Uh, I think she could have been anybody in this film. I think they could have cast anybody in this role. Um, I've never walked away from a movie that she's been in going, wow, she was amazing. Uh to, you know, she's Ron Howard's daughter, and that's how she got her parts. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just calling it like I sees it. Uh, so, yeah, for for the Nora character, like I said, a- anybody could have done it. Um, for Jack, I agree. The Grace character is more important. The Jack character does nothing. But I do like Wes Bentley, who plays Jack. Um he was in American Beauty, then did like hardly anything, and then he came back for American Horror Story, and then he got cast in this. Um, I actually, I disagree. For as little purpose as the character serves, I think he, he actually kind of steals the show in a way because I think he, he makes the character a little bit intriguing. I think for not having a lot of speaking lines, um, he still kind of commands your attention. Uh, but you're a thousand percent right. I don't believe them as a couple at all. In fact, the line where it says they're supposed to get married is a complete throwaway line. And the way that their relationship plays out on screen, they are so estranged. I thought that they were like a couple that's like, that like wants to be together, but they can't because in this case, it would be that their jobs are keeping them apart. And, you know, they can't, build their relationship on a foundation of two completely different beliefs. To me, they almost come off like they're in the middle of a failed marriage. Like there's that too. I just, I, there's, there's so much about the two of them that I, I just dislike. It's clear that Jack's brother who works in this lumberjack business with him, bulldozes him, just does whatever he wants. But I think the biggest problem is that you're supposed to have Jack and Grace who are two tremendous protagonists in this film other than pete and elliot their their existence is to help push this film forward but the two of them seem completely at times clueless jack more so than grace but grace seems like she's in a daze all of the time like bryce dallas howard we've seen her be a mac daddy boss 
a take-no-stuff woman in Jurassic World. Eh. I disagree. I, I think that she was good in that movie. Whether you buy her in that role or not, I do believe that she played that part very well. I think her daddy is best friends with Steven Spielberg. But I don't, but my point is that, well, let me ask you this. Did she play that role better or did she play this role better? Oh, good question. Uh, Jurassic World better. Would this character have been better if she would have handled him more than the character in Jurassic World? If she would have been more of, I'm going to stand up, this is what I believe, I'm a park ranger, this is my job, I protect it, now get out. Yeah, but I'd still call her a one-trick pony then. But even still, though, how... The most, honestly, the most convincing role for me was the village where she plays a blind girl. And that's because she can't figure out her sight lines, so that played to her strengths. For somebody that just is supposed to be a crucial part, a crucial element of this story... It seems like she's she's astonished all of the time, no matter what happens. And Jack is completely clueless. Like the the night that his brother encounters the the dragon Elliot for the first time, after a a horrific line, and I'll get into the screenwriting in just a minute. He tells him, "We found the dragon. The dragon cut my, you know bit my gun in half, and this, that, and the other." And then the next day, he goes to the office. And he's like, oh, where's my brother? And they're like, oh, he said something about going hunting. And he was like, going hunting? Wonder where he is. Like, it just seems like he he was never catching on to what was happening around him. And then when he pers- he pursues them into the woods after they've shot Elliot with the tranquilizers and tied him up, he's looking at the dragon that his brother told him existed. He knows his brother's gone hunting for something. He looks at the dragon and goes, what is this? What's happening here? You're seeing it with your own eyes, dude. Yeah, that line was seriously underdelivered. And you know what I would have really liked to see play out is because Jack's brother has been, you know, and they really don't get enough into this. Jack's brother has been the driving force behind this deforestation that Grace is trying to protect. I would have liked to see the two of them come to a head at some point, and they never really do. I mean, yes, when he takes down Elliot, but she's just like, no, stop. Right. You never really see her or him go at it, but even the brothers. Like, you would think that somewhere in that power struggle, there would be a confrontation, a conflict, and anything that they have together comes off like bickering. Right, yeah, like, give me the line, like, pick between your family or your girlfriend. It never happens. They, they like, toe the line but they never quite cross it and you don't see that conflict play out mm-hmm. um when they encounter pete in the forest for the first time um they the 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 grace character she goes from being compassionate to being angry immediately because pete stole her compass given this compass means a lot to her. It has a photograph inside of her and her father and her deceased mother. It clearly, it's something that she's very much attached to and needs for her job. But she gets so angry so quickly that he took it and then later uses it as, but he had my compass. He's been the, he's been in the forest forever. Meanwhile, he took the compass the day before. How does him he having the compass- He also didn't know he took it. No, but how, how does him taking a compass 
prove anything about how long he's been stranded in the woods. How about the fact that his hair is halfway down his back, he's dirty, and his clothes are tattered? Wasn't that enough? Right. Yeah, there's just, there's a lot of things that they put emphasis on that really was unnecessary. I will say this, though. We've ripped into the acting quite a bit. Uh, This kid who plays Pete, he carries the film. He's so good. Doesn't have a lot of lines, but man, is he good. Mm-hmm. He's, he's outstanding. He's actually like what redeems this movie for me. What impresses me most about him, and it's something that they'll tell you that a lot of actors will struggle with when they're starting off, especially child actors, the eyes and the facial expressions. Mm. This kid emotes an awful lot without saying much. But not overdone either. No, he's so good. It's like the kid that played Mowgli in the uh, live action Jungle Book. He was outstanding too. I'd say that this kid is on par, if not better. I'd say he's right there with him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What I can't understand is how he's able to climb school buses while they move. He jumps from moving vehicle to moving vehicle like Spider-Man, but then he cannot climb a fence to escape from these people. This is after he escapes from the hospital. He ended up in the hospital because uh, Jack's brother pulls him out of a tree as he's trying to escape, and he strikes his head on a rock, so they take him to a hospital. Which, by the way, they completely gloss over. Like, how do you kind of leave that? And I don't like that whole scene. I don't like Jack has a daughter, which I think we can assume is from a previous marriage. They never say as much or what happened to this girl's mother. They just say that he's now with Grace. Um, And I don't like this like Tarzan meeting that she has with Pete. And I love how they, they fall like halfway from halfway up a tremendous tree. Best case scenario, you're alive. But how how do you have just a scratch? Because it's not just falling from the height. They're hitting branches on the way down. They're hitting limbs. They're getting tossed around. The fact that they walked away with, quote unquote, just a scratch is completely unrealistic. And I know that when you watch film, at times you have to suspend reality. But you're trying to create what is perceived to be a real life situation Mm. with real life drama. Like she's, she doesn't even bleed. No, and I thought this was the point where Elliot was going to come in, maybe like just remain invisible and catch them. Not so much. No, not at all. Um, Grace and Jack just taking this kid home after he's escaped from the hospital. Child Protective Services would have never let this happen. Small town or not. It, it just it doesn't make sense. It's so unrealistic. And when they get him in the house, they feed him his first meal. He's still in his hospital gown. So you, you took this kid home, but you don't you didn't even buy him clothing to change into? Yeah. He does eventually, but that's, Or like that's you later can't on. give him like a big hoodie or something, like something of Jack's that he could just wear. Like in the original, Nara gives Pete I think it was Lampy's pajamas yeah. because they're clearly too big for him. Right. But she gives him something to be comfortable in. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, I know that it sounds like we're maybe picking a park, you know, like little ticky tacky things, but these are the things in this movie that are frustrating for us. No. And we talked 
in last week's episode about how as enjoyable as the film is, as fun as the original is, as great as the music is, that it actually doesn't hold up because it's just too of its time and it won't translate over to today's audience. So here's your second shot. And I think we should be overly critical of it because if we're saying that the original doesn't hold up, here was your chance to improve and you're missing some big points here. Right. Um, Later on in the film, they go back to hunt the dragon and you see the home that Elliot and Pete share with each other. It's like a cave. Yeah. But they also have, he's got like a tree house. He's got ladders that he's made out of rope. Mm-hmm. How does he know how to do any of this? He, I mean, being so young when he's stranded in the woods, right. he knows how to make rope. He knows how to make fire. He knows how to make shelter. And like, you know, not elaborate shelter, but to make a rope that you can use to climb up a tree that high into your tree house, which is really more of a landing than anything else. But mm-hmm. still, how how does he know how to do any of this without being taught? It's just, I can buy into the fact that like Mowgli figured it out. Right. But he was also taking vines and turning them into things. This wasn't like a rainforest. This was almost like being in the redwoods. Right. And I I think in the context of the Jungle Book, Mowgli does it more out of necessity. Pete had Elliot to help. Like he didn't have to figure out how to make fire because Elliot breathes fire. So if your basic survival skills are covered, yeah, how did you get here? Honestly, I never really thought about it that much because preceding that when they when they bring uh, Grace and Meacham over to that part of the woods, uh, to, to show them or to reveal Elliot. There's a part where Grace says, I've never seen this part of the woods before. Like, how do you know? I know you work there, but like, there's no mile markers. I have to assume if you're a park ranger and you're really, really good at your job, like, you know, parts of the woods, but like, You know what bothers me even more about that is not even so much how does she know. It's like the authority that she has is like nobody ran this by me. Like, that's the most aggression we see out of her. It's true. Um, When they eventually shoot Elliot with the tranquilizers, they put him on on an 18 wheeler. They bring him into a barn and then they don't know what they're going to do with him. So you went out of the way to catch this dragon with no plan on what to do next. No, that's where this movie completely falls apart. Your villain has no motivation. And especially if you compare it to the original, you've got two sets of villains. You've got the Gogans after Pete. You've got Doc Terminus after Elliot. And now you have half a villain in this one. Because they're not motivated. They're motivated to get the dragon and they don't understand why. The only thing I can think of is revenge because the brother character, you can tell that he's kind of sick of standing in Jack's shadow. But um, this was not the first encounter with Elliot. The first encounter with Elliot is they know something's in the woods and they're tracking him and they find a footprint. And one of the things that bothers me most about this film is that Elliot chases them out of the woods, but 
he's immediately vicious and he never was in the original. He was mischievous and he also knew when to turn it on and off. Like when he first meets Lampy and he knows Lampy's scared and then he's kind of like making faces at him to scare him even more. Yeah. He was goofy. He doesn't do that here. And before Jack's brother even pulls a gun on, oh, Gavi, I keep forgetting the name. It's Gavi. We keep calling him Jack's brother. See, and, and you know what? It's forgettable. I- that's exactly right. I didn't write his name down because when I watch a movie three or four times, if I can't remember your name, you're, you're known pointless. as the brother. Yeah. You're pointless. And he is a pointless villain. My point being, Gavi doesn't even pull the gun on Elliot yet. And Elliot chases him and his crew out of the woods. And he's, you know, like really, really aggressive with them. And that's not the character. Right. Um, One element that I really miss in this film versus in the the original film, um, at the end when Elliot and Pete are separated, um, in the original one, Elliot is moving on to help another child in need. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned that he's that enduring selfless hero. You don't have that in this movie. Elliot leaves because he can't go back to the forest because the town knows that he exists. And the onus is keeping him safe by keeping him in seclusion. And he's no longer able to be secluded there. Now he's a refugee. That's exactly what he is. But I I think that it it totally takes away from the character and what the character meant to not just Pete but to other children around the world that needed that friend, that needed that guide, that needed that guardian. I think it takes away from their relationship a little bit too because when they capture Elliot, Pete really doesn't understand captivity at all and why they want to trap him. And he starts to because it's almost a parallel to what he's experiencing. Like... They're trying to domesticate him and they keep telling him, no, you can't go back to the woods. No, you can't go back to the woods. And he doesn't understand why. Just the same as he doesn't understand why they want to capture him. So by the time Pete finds his family and Elliot needs to leave, I think this Pete does get a big char- a bigger character arc than in the original because he kind of figured out he kind of figured it out on his own that he can't be in the woods anymore. And like, yes, that's been drilled into his brain, but like now he wants to stay with his family and you know, it doesn't just come with grace. It also comes with a father and a sister. And I think he recognizes that he wants to be a part of, he does say at one point, what's we. Um, And I think he realizes he wants to be a part of that. So it does take away from the lesson that Elliot teaches him. Yeah. Oh, I think that this, uh, my opinion is that the way that the movie ends, while I do like the fact that um, Pete can find Elliot, because that always kind of made me sad at the end of the original Pete's Dragon, was that he was never going to see Elliot again. Right. um, In spite of the fact that Elliot was doing something so wonderful. Um, I like the fact that they both find their families because Elliot moves on and finds his family. Um, but with that said, I feel that it does have a negative effect on Pete's character arc because P- 
Pete knows that Elliot needs to leave. Pete himself says, you can't stay here. But then he gets upset over the notion that he's leaving. Right, because Elliot goes invisible, in other words, to say to Pete, I'll just hide. And and Pete says, I'm not invisible. I can't do that. They're going to find us. So he realizes that not only can Elliot not stay there, but they, they really can't be together because wherever they're looking for Pete, they're going to be looking for Elliot too. It was an important part of the original film that Pete be able to understand why Elliot is leaving. And Mm -hmm. he embraced why Elliot needed to leave because he so appreciated what Elliot had done for him. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really happen here. He's just upset that his friend is leaving. He never has that aha moment. He never has that coming of age moment that he has in in the first film. Right. And it begs the question really for both films, would they have been stronger if Elliot was a figment of Pete's imagination and kind of a coping mechanism for Pete to survive? I think that it certainly would be an interesting um, conversation um, in regards to the psyche of a child, especially one that's been in a situation like Pete was. Mm-hmm. Um Really, and in both in both movies, tragic situations. I right. think it's an interesting social commentary on it. But I like the fact that he's not a figment of his imagination. I like the fact that for a child that's going through something like that, that even though it's, it's a film, some kids want to believe that their Elliot is out there. And I like what that character meant. And I feel like that is so missing from this version of the film. I feel like if it was a figment of Pete's imagination, it may have worked better with the Gogans and and just getting him through that difficult situation, uh, but not in this case. But I mean, regardless, I'm glad that that he is real because I like the redemption aspect in in both of them. I mean. Lampy gets it more so in the original. Meacham gets it kind of here, but it's just, it's not as strong. Agreed. Um, if, if you don't mind, I would like to single out a couple of scenes and a couple of lines specifically in the screenwriting that I have problems with here that just make me roll my eyes with it. I got one or two myself. And and I remember rolling my eyes when I watched the movie for the first time. And now that I've seen it three or four times, I roll my eyes even still. When the children fall from the tree and Jack's daughter is holding her knee with the big scrape she got from falling from 50 feet, um... Pete goes to touch her and she goes, I'm hurt. It's like, no kidding, you're hurt. Yeah, I just, it, it's a, to me, I know it sounds dumb, but it's a weak line. And it's, it doesn't add anything to the scene. And it, the way that she says it, it's, it's so disingenuous that I don't think it makes any sense. What makes less sense about it for me is that it's not like, she's brushing her teeth and Pete has no idea what she's doing and he's like mimicking her or touching it. Like then I would, you know, I'd say this to anybody, don't touch my toothbrush, gross. Um, 
But in this case, he has to know what hurt is. He has to know that he he has to have been scraped up at some point from living in the woods. Or I mean, not to be horrible, but like after what you went through with your parents, like you kind of know what hurt is. Well, no, apparently he doesn't because he got up and walked away without a scratch. <laughs> True. Um, yeah, I, I get what you mean. Like you don't need that like duh moment. Exactly. From her. Yeah. Correct. Um, let's go hunting. <laughs> okay Gavi's line when he grabs the gun out of the back of the truck and he cocks it to go after he doesn't know what he's going after he just sees some big creature is moving trees around like what a totally deliberate and horribly cheesy line like this is something that I would expect to hear out of some horrific action film from the 80s right and like as this pseudo macho character like don't you want to know what you're going after first because that's it he's sort of leading the charge and i think he knows it's this dragon this dragon of legend but he doesn't want to come out and say that to the boys yeah after and like honestly with them i i could have used like the tavern drinking scene you know yeah um the uh, after after um, Pete escapes from the hospital, he climbs out the window and he runs off and he's running around the streets in his hospital gown. Um, he encounters a couple who's walking their dog. The dog barks at Pete. Pete barks back and the woman goes, don't bark at our dog. It's to me, it would have been better played if they would have just act shocked or mortified that some child in a hospital gown has now growled and barked back at them. Yeah, or like just be protective of the dog or something. Pick the, Yeah, it was a little dog. Pick the dog up and kind of take off in the opposite direction. Like, yeah. look concerned. Don't bark at my dog. It's just, it was, the line is also delivered very poorly. So it's, it's a stupid line mm. delivered by a poor actress and it's laughable. I remember actually laughing out loud and not because it's a funny line laughing out loud because of how bad it was the first time we saw this movie. Let's dial back to that hospital scene before he escapes for a second, because I may have a worse line for you. Okay. Um, when Grace is meeting with the cops and they're talking about where does Pete come from? And we got to call child protective services or whatever. They talk about how he went missing and the cop just kind of offhandedly says, maybe his family was out camping and he just sort of wandered off. Which, A, is derivative, because that was the plot of Elliot Gets Lost, number one. And number two, how have you, again, not been out searching for this boy? Right, because technically it would be within their jurisdiction. Exactly. You think you would have heard about it by now. you have living parents whose kid did wander off on a camping trip, how are they not beating down your door? Yeah, that's this true. really doesn't speak highly of the authority in this town. No. Um, I know the line that you love so much, when they're in the Ugh, hospital and Elliot- That hospital, man. <laughs> Elliot takes off to go and try to find Pete, and he's looking through a hospital window, and there's a girl laid up in the pediatric wing- Clearly, she's got a broken leg. Her leg is, is wrapped up in a cast. And with a big smile on her face, not scared, not concerned, she looks and goes, Mommy, there's a monster outside. She is way too happy about it. 
if you're going to say there's a monster outside, like you should have the fear of God in you. And then monster shouldn't be the line. If you're going to be happy about it, say there's a dragon outside. Right. Or if you want to be really funny about it, she should be screaming bloody murder. Right. Because then it would it would be hysterical. Right. Like and then I might screamed... actually laugh like they tried to make me do when they dropped the stretcher in the next scene when Elliot yes. flies away. Yeah, terrible. Awful. Like if Awful. she would have screamed and Elliot got a look of concern and took off really fast, yeah. I would have laughed. Yeah. I would have thought that was actually really funny. Um, yeah, or the, the, especially because the guy with the gun doesn't scare you, but this little girl's scream does. Yeah, like that's that is comedy. Um, how about when Bryce Dallas Howard has um, Pete in the car? They're on their way to go into the forest to go see where Pete came from. She pulls up next to Child Protective Services, and she just stops the car, and she looks really confused. And her, like she does, as she does the whole time no matter what's going on she looks confused when you when you turn on a light um but her daughter-in-law or her stepdaughter i should say goes grace what's wrong because she's like not moving and they sit there for a few for a few seconds Ugh. and she goes oh I, I got turned around and then continues to drive straight right how are you how, wait a minute you got turned around you just basically what you said is we're going in the wrong direction, and then you compl- you continue to drive in the wrong direction. Well, no, she saw the child protective services car yes. outside of the cop station, and I think at that point she's kind of like falling in love with Pete, and she doesn't want to give him up. Right. So she got distracted, but I, she doesn't want to say what it is. I understand that, but couldn't she? Why that was the best thing she could come up with? Oh, I got turned around. Oh, so I I was distracted, honey. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, it's, I got turned around, and I'm going to con- continue to drive in the direction I shouldn't be driving in, right. because the line of, I got turned around, implies I'm not going in the correct direction Right. to get yeah. to our final destination. But we're going to take it anyway and see what happens. It's bad writing. It's bad writing. How about when, um, when they look at the picture that Pete has drawn of Elliot, and they say, it looks like a dragon, and he goes, what's a dragon? You just spent six years with him. How do you not know what a dragon is? You've spent six years with a dragon. Well, because to him, that looks like Elliot, and that's all he knows. You're telling me a six-year-old has never seen a dragon before? I mean, maybe if if the only book he was reading was Elliot Gets Lost, which is about a dog, like, maybe not. I I will actually let that one slide. Okay. Um, Yeah, and and, uh, that's, that's really... It, I think, in terms of the lines that really stand out to me that just left me with my head in my hands. Literally. Yeah, I think that, you know, we, we've we've talked about this enough. My final synopsis, unless you have anything else that you have to add, anything that stands out to you before I kind of bring this into a wrap-up for me. Um, let's see. Bryce Dallas Howard is a horrible actress. No, I'm good. Okay. Um, the fact is... I really want to like this movie. In fact, I want to love this movie. It's shot beautifully. Mm. The kid that plays Pete is great. His interaction with with Elliot is great. I really do like Elliot in this movie. Um, but I can't get past the look of him. I can't get past the lack of character arc, really, for either Everyone. one of them. Um, and quite frankly... While this story works for this interpretation of this film, mm-hmm. I think that 
sloppy screenwriting, at times confusing, at times contradictory, mostly not making sense, takes away from a film that should otherwise be brilliant. Because this movie has a lot going right for it. But where it fails and where it goes wrong, predictability, cheesy screenwriting, bad dialogue. Not just bad written dialogue, poorly delivered delivered And directed then. And directed. Mm. Which is a shame because I actually think that you have a strong cast in this movie. With the exception of Bryce Dallas Howard, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to to believe that Robert Redford couldn't even save this one. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of final thoughts. Uh, I'm biased because I do love the first one. You know, we talked about it last week. It's hugely nostalgic for me. Uh, that was a big staple in my childhood. And, you know, I said it last week that it grieves me to say it doesn't really hold up. That is, it, it's a good family movie, but it's really a kid's movie. You appreciate it as a kid. Uh, it's two of its time, and it doesn't necessarily hold up when you watch it as an adult. It's still enjoyable. It's still got that Disney magic, but you can't enjoy it the same way because there are, it's flawed. Uh, so with that being said... They had a second chance to get this right, and they didn't. And I am a little bit biased because, like I said, the first one meant so much to me. So, like, I wanted to hate on this, and I really did the first time that I saw it because I was just so upset with what they did to Elliot. Um, I didn't see the few things that they did got get right, and I feel like with what they did to make this story more fantastical and more mythical... I do think they got that right. I think the setting worked for it. I think the uh, dragon being kind of like a local myth or a local legend, I think that all worked. Um, I think that even though I didn't like the relationship between Pete and Elliot as much, um, it definitely worked better to have him find his family when they went their separate ways because otherwise he's just out there by himself. Um Did we need this movie? For as flawed as the original is, I don't necessarily think that they needed to remake it to quote-unquote get it right. Like I said, what they did do here and the choices that they made worked to tell this story. Uh, If they were going to do it, I almost wish this was the sequel instead of a remake and that we see this is where Elliot went after he parts ways with Pete. Uh, But what I would have rather seen than this film was the Broadway adaptation. I think the big takeaway from the original for me is the music. I love it. I think it's so much fun. And I think with the way they did the sets in the original, it lends itself to the stage. And I feel like if you took the catchy music and you finagled those couple of plot points that we talked about last week, I think you'd have a really strong stage show. And especially with the gimmicky stuff that they could do with Elliot, I think that would have been the better option to give Peach Dragon a second life than this film was. I think 
this movie at best is okay. Um, I wondered myself, and and admittedly, uh, I do miss the music um, that made the first, you know, version of this film so special. But with all of that being said, I don't know that this would have worked as the musical because we just talked about how dated the the original feels. And even if you made this a period piece, because a lot of the songs are kind of kitschy and they're fun and they're really innocent, I don't know that a modern audience is going to appreciate it. And I feel like it would have come off almost more of a parody than a reinterpretation or a retelling of the story. I'm okay with it not being a musical in spite of the fact that I do miss the music, but anything that they got right is neutralized by every other thing that they got wrong. No, I'm not saying that the movie should have been a musical. God, no, that would have been a disaster. I'm saying put it on Broadway. I understand that. I'm talking about from my perspective as I watched this, my thought was, would they have been better suited doing a musical version like the original was because you've seen now how Disney has done these live action uh, remakes of the um, animated films, Beauty and the Beast, uh, The Jungle Book. They still had their musical elements. Mm. They still had those those numbers and that doesn't exist in this movie. In this case, I think it's okay. Yeah. Because the music, like we said, it it did definitely fit the setting. It's just jarring to have those lyrics, you know, like, it, it, I don't know. It just felt like out of context for me. But I will say this. What I missed the most every time they said a dragon in this movie, I just wanted the, like, a dragon. I swear I saw a dragon. Like, that, that's the best part. And that I missed that the most. Yeah, but we're interested in hearing what you guys have to say about uh, this version of Pete's Dragon. You can get to us at Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter, at Monoreal Radio. I'll be honest, though. If you look at social media, I, I kind of know what the answer to that question is going to be already. Yeah, I um, was actually surprised as I was going through and posting things for last week's episode, I noticed there was the hashtag Pete's Dragon 1977. And of course I clicked it. And down the rabbit hole I went. Um, What was most surprising to me is how many tattoos there are from Pete's Dragon. Um, I saw tattoos for Brazzle Dazzle Day. I've seen people with Elliot, which was probably the most pleasant surprise because I really thought that this was just one of my staples. It wasn't such a widely spread film, but I was so, so happy to see uh, that people are still engaged with it. Somebody actually has a tattoo that says Brazzle Dazzle Day. Yeah, it was actually a pretty cool font. That's like having a tattoo that says have a Coke and smile. (laughs) No, and especially because I know that that's not your favorite song. I thought that you would find that pretty interesting. I, fi- I find it very interesting. Well, To put it nicely, I find that very intriguing. It, very importantly, there's still a lot of love for Elliot and Peach Dragon out there. Which kind of makes you wonder, would they have been better suited if they had actually done a remake, like a straight remake as a musical? I know we just said that we didn't think it would work, but I don't know, maybe. Maybe, I don't know, that's, that's another thing for the social media. 
Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. I mean, what do you guys think? Would you have Would you have enjoyed this movie more? Or maybe would you have gone to see it if it would have been a, a true remake? And while we're at it, who's joining my movement of the revamp of the Hoopty Doo review with the Gogans? Nobody. News this week: um, Super Bowl Sunday was. Uh, well, it was two days ago. It was probably the worst Super Bowl I've ever watched, and that kind of tends to be what everybody's been saying because on top of the fact that, A, I'm a Dolphins fan, therefore I am not a fan of the New England Patriots, I can deal with the Patriots winning if it's at least an entertaining game. Like, the game wasn't even entertaining. It was just garbage. And neither was the halftime show. Well, I mean, you you knew that going in, though. I didn't hate the halftime show. The halftime show is kind of what I thought it was going to be. It was Maroon 5. That's how I feel about them most of the time. I love Adam Levine. Like, I love watching him on The Voice. I think he's so funny. And I've always loved him as a persona, but I just can't get into their music. And I wish I could because they are talented. It's not to say that they're not. It's just... They didn't have a lot of stage presence. There was no. I was really, really hoping that Mick Jagger would have been the surprise, and I think that that could have like saved the whole night. And obviously, that didn't happen. And for the most part, the commercials weren't any good either. You like for the people that don't care about the game, they're there to watch the commercials. Even those were kind of lame. And even some of the Disney trailers let me down. I mean, we got a new drop for Captain Marvel. We got a new drop for Avengers. Um, neither of them really did too much for me. Captain Marvel, I don't feel, you know, we had said it in a past episode when we got the premiere of that trailer that it just looked like another Marvel movie and we were hoping the more we see from it, the more we might be engaged. It really doesn't add to anything that we've seen. Avengers did give us a little bit more context, though. We know that we're in Queens now, which I'm guessing has to do with Spider-Man, and um, they've taken over LaGuardia Airport. See, I I disagree with you on something. I I do agree with you that that the trailer for Captain Marvel didn't really do anything to pique my interest any more than it already has in right. seeing the film. Right. But I actually liked the Avengers trailer. I like the fact that, A, you see uh, City Field, totally empty, nobody in it, desolate, which is kind of the way it looks even when the Mets are playing, <laughs> but it kind of gives you this image that, like, wow, stuff's got real. You know what I'm saying? Like, it to see something that is so... It's an icon in New York... You know, we're from here. We've mentioned that before. So to see it in that state is kind of jarring. To see a major airport that way really kind of made it feel very real. Like, no, society has basically come to a halt. And I like the fact that they've taken it over and that's kind of become their their headquarters. Yeah, I guess that's true because, you know, I'm thinking more in the context of we lost half the cast because of Thanos when he snapped his fingers. But I, f- I sometimes forget it's half the population I mean, is it, wiped out. It shows the the devastation that has happened. Yeah, and literally hitting close to home for us. Yeah, and I think that it really is going to be that epic conclusion. What I can't figure out is whether we're getting an epic conclusion to Toy Story's franchise 
or if it's going to start another trilogy. You have Tom Hanks and Tim Allen this week both tweeting that it was emotional for them to record their final lines, which kind of leads you to believe that this is the end of the road. But we thought that at the end of Toy Story 3, and yet here they come with Toy Story 4 because they're thinking one billion worldwide. Um, And supposedly, Tom Hanks, he never came out and said it exactly, but a lot of people have been left to believe that Woody is gone. So even if this franchise continues... It would appear on the surface, and nothing with Disney, disclaimer, nothing with Disney is ever as it appears on the surface, Mm. but if you're taking it at face value, you're led to believe that Woody is gone. And we did get a trailer drop last night. It was the first trailer after the Super Bowl ended. That's what I'm saying. As far as the trailers that we did get for the Super Bowl, I feel like the Toy Story trailer gave us the most context. Um, I do agree with you. I think they're going for a whole second trilogy. And I kind of think just based on what we've seen so far, they're going to start passing the torch a little bit. Um, I think if they do eliminate either Buzz or Woody, um, we're seeing now they release the artwork for Bo Peep's poster. And she's in pants. And you can kind of tell that they're they're taking off with her a little bit I think they're going to make her more of like a strong female lead um so I'm wondering if maybe they go that route and she's now the main character or I could very easily see and I wouldn't mind this at all the key and peel characters the bunny and the chick um I would be totally down for a spinoff. Everything that I've seen from them so far is absolutely hilarious, and I love Key and Peele. And you saw them more of them last night in yeah. that trailer. Um, I mean, clearly, they, they are at a carnival. We know that. Bo Peep is back, and Buzz is zip-tied to a carnival game, and he is like the large prize that you trade your small prizes in for. That's really all that we know. It gave us more than we've gotten up to this point because up to this point the first teaser we got showed us basically nothing except a a new character right and the posters but posters don't tell you anything so i'm i don't know i mean like i i i'm interested to see how they develop bo peep because up to this point she has been a secondary character right and i i want to see really what they do with her because at this point in time without seeing the fourth movie she's not a strong enough character to carry that franchise right and I feel like all of the other secondary characters in the second and third films did kind of get a little bit more meat and potatoes to each of their stories like you had the potato heads um you know and talking about starting a family and I feel like they did a lot more with Rex um but and they, ham and yeah, slinky. They just never really did anything with Bo Peep. Right. Unfortunately, I don't think there's much more you can do with Potato Head because sure. Don Rickles is no longer with us. Yeah. Um uh, unless unless Tim Allen is gonna stay on and they're gonna continue with Buzz Lightyear and make Buzz and Bo. I mean No, Buzz is with Jesse. Bo's with Woody. No, but I'm saying make them really as like the the two main uh, characters. I mean, yeah, you can do you can do stories with Jesse and Bullseye. 
I I don't know. They made such a big deal about Bo Peep coming back. I, I don't know if that's a cop-out, if they're trying to distract you from what's actually going to happen. Like, uh, this is all... Th- this is going to be a topic of conversation for months now, leading up to the release of this movie. Yeah. And I, I hate to say it, because it sounds so melodramatic, but this is going to be as controversial a Disney release, which is ridiculous because it's a it's an animated film about toys, but this is going to be as controversial a Disney release as we've seen in a very long time. Agreed. Well, hey, you know what? Get at us on social media there, too. What'd you think of the trailers? At uh, Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you want to go check out Toy Story Land, definitely get in touch with me. I've got a whole bunch of great deals through Magical Vacation Planner. So shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.